listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Thank you, Duane, for singing that Christmas carol. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward with Bibles and ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke 2. And if you don't have a Bible this morning, we would encourage you to raise your hand and they will give you a Bible to be able to use this morning to follow along in the text in Luke chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please take that Bible home with you as it is our gift to you. Um, What child is this? The Christmas carol that Duane just sang was written by William Chatterton Dix, who was born in 1837 in Bristol, England. As a young man, he moved to Glasgow, Scotland, where he worked for a company that insured cargo ships. However, his real love was not his work, but it was poetry, and it was being able to write poems and songs that would glorify the Lord. At the age of 29, however, Dix fell very sick, fatally sick, in fact, and they weren't sure if he would live. He was confined to a bed for a long period of time, and as he was in that bed, he became a man who sought the Lord in the word and in prayer. It was said that it was through that crisis that he became a true man of faith and devoted much of his time to writing Christian poetry and songs. He wrote a number of other hymns and carols and poems, including the Christmas carol that some might know this day uh, is the the hymn, As With Gladness Men of Old. And of course, he has written, What Child Is This? as we've heard this morning. What Child Is This? is derived, first of all, from a poem that then was then placed, uh, given some music to. It was a poem first published in Britain in, in 1865 and quickly became a very popular poem in the United States. Later on, they added the music to the lyrics, to the poem, and it was a familiar song called Greensleeves that was a hundred years even older than the poem and the song, What Child Is This? It was an old song. It was considered a love song, and get this, it was also a popular drinking song. So that song you heard this morning, I guess things were a little bit different back then, but it was a popular drinking love song uh, during its era. Now, the Christmas carol is not a drinking song. It is a song that reminds us of a love story, though, the greatest love story. And the first, the song begins with the child sleeping on Mary's lap, accompanied by angels and shepherds, which is biblically true and very accurate. But then the second verse asks the question, why would he be lying in such a mean estate? Why would he be lying, the son of God? Why would he be in such a place like a stable? And it goes on to then speak of Jesus' purpose and and, and pleads to us for the salvation of sinners. This is a gospel song. And it alludes to the nails and to the spear that he would face on the cross. And then the third verse moves us to response. It moves us to the response of of asking us to bring Jesus incense and gold and myrrh. Why? Because the response of this great gift is to want to honor and to adore and to give back. The King of Kings has come and has brought salvation, and so we should joyfully respond in worship and in our gifts to our King. And so this morning, what we're going to do, we're not going to unpack this song line by line. I've given you a brief outline of it, but what we are going to do is we're going to unpack more of the Christmas story, and we're going to look specifically at one verse in Luke chapter chapter 2 in a moment. But we want to ask ourselves this question, what child is this? 
Because what you and I believe about this child, this one that, whose birth we are celebrating, yet once again we celebrate this baby's birth. I, I remember I, I, I read a, a little story about a mother and her daughter going year after year to a Christmas display. You remember those years ago, the Bay, Sears, Eaton's, now I'm, I'm dating myself, but they would have these great department stores and they would have these street front windows and they would have Christmas displays. And they had one of the manger scene and I heard of a young uh, child asking her mother, how come baby Jesus never grows up? He is the same size every year. Well, in reality, this baby did grow up and we are celebrating his birth, but what we celebrate as believers in Christ is so much more than his birth. And what you believe and what I believe about Jesus is vitally important. And it's important that what we know and what we then respond to in regards to that truth will determine the quality of our life and ultimately our eternal destination. So this Carol, this poem, this song asks us a very important question. What child is this? You see, we can go through life in our own efforts, our own trying, trying to self-transform ourselves, trying to improve our lifestyle and the, our way of living, our attitudes, our outlook. We can uh, take on a, a positive approach to life and, and really be disciplined in that kind of thing. And we can even very easily, and I mean very scientifically, but practically extend or prolong our years here on this earth. But fundamentally, nothing will change on the inside, and it won't help us eternally unless we believe in this child whose birth we're celebrating. The Bible teaches, and folks, our own experience confirms it, that we are all sinners. And as a result of that, there is a great chasm between us and our God. We are separated from God. And in order for us to see that separation bridged, to see that chasm filled in, comes only through Jesus Christ. We have a need to be forgiven, to be reconciled by God to God, by Jesus to, to, uh, to, towards God, rescued from the present state that we're in, where we're striving, we're looking for purpose and meaning. We need to be reconciled to God. That's where it comes. That's where the rescue happens. Rescued from the guilt and the shame of the past. Delivered from the fears of the future. Knowing our God is in control. And strength to live by for today. For that reason, we need a Savior. A Savior that is Christ the Lord. And so, when we ask this question, what child is this? It's vitally important that we respond, that we be able to answer who this child is. And yet we get so bogged down this Christmas season in so many different ways. We get overwhelmed with the season, with its busyness. Maybe for you it's the loneliness of the season, or a hurt or a bitterness from Christmas past over things that have happened in the course of this year. And it's so easy to become overwhelmed or distracted Distracted with tradition, distracted with giving and having and experiencing a good Christmas. Or soon we become cynical or we just get weary and worn out. 
And I don't know if you're like me, this week I got a little cynical and a little weary and worn out over all the Christmas controversies. It just kind of keeps coming. A number of years ago it was removing the name Christmas or Christ from Christmas and, and all of these different things. And now we just see an acceleration of this kind of thing. You just, it it kind of just leaves you at times just shaking your head at the silliness of the headlines. Like this past week hearing of the banning of certain Christmas songs or Christmas shows. And, and it just can end up getting very ridiculous at some of the things. Do we have that? Some of the things that uh, get banned or have been banned. Um, if you can make my monitor work here, that would be great. Uh, if not, that's no problem. Um, but, but even hearing this week how Charlie Brown or Rudolph uh, are... are are considered being banned because of abusive and, and, and bullying overtones in them. Or even Jingle Bells heard and read this week that the original context in which Jingle Bells was played and performed uh, could be viewed as a racist um, setting for it. And so people are saying that Jingle Bells should no longer be, uh, be, be played in, in stores and malls and concerts. Or, or, or I could agree with Baby, It's Cold Outside, because that's just an irritating song. Uh, you know, but, but, you know, and, but no longer is that politically correct in the hashtag me too culture that we're living in and another one that I wouldn't mind seeing getting banned is Santa baby so I call all uh, all babies of this world to revolt and say he is not Santa is not a baby and be offended by that so they ban Santa baby that would be and Dominic the donkey Let, let's go for that one too because I mean I just don't know where some of those and, and yet all of this controversy and, 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 and that these items actually fill newspapers and website columns and social media uh, pages and, and all of this but, but then it gets a little more serious where I read this past week a school in the United States banning candy canes because an upside down candy cane is a J and J stands for Jesus and so they don't want to have candy canes in the school. But then this even gets more real and a little closer to home. I, I started getting some text messages on Friday night of a church in Kitchener, a Bible church in Kitchener, that for the last number of years, now get this, they have been going to a community event and have been participating in it. It's called Christ Kindle. Chris Kind, which is the Chris Kind market is what it's called, which means Christ child in German. I hope I said the German part of that correct, Christ kin. And I asked Siri how to uh, help me pronounce that, and I think she came through. And, and so they have this market, and they have a stage up there with Christmas carols and that. But this year, as a grandmother was on the stage reading part of the Christmas story to some children on the stage, they turned off her mic and started to play um, elevator music to drown out any voices or any reading that would be heard. And this group was told in the middle of their uh, time on the stage that they were allotted to have that there would be no more Bible reading and no preaching at this event and they said that's not what Christmas is all about and then yesterday as I was in discussion with some friends and heard from them and then researched and found that it is true that there are those that are saying that the Virgin Mary was a product of divine rape that God is guilty of hashtag me too violations it's just like really can it really get that mad and that crazy read the word of God Read what she had to say in Luke chapter 1, in her being willing to take this great and awesome responsibility and privilege. But it's just madness. But instead of being cynical and being confused or overwhelmed or infuriated with all that is going on, oh folks, I pray that this Christmas season we would be so overwhelmed with the truth of the real Christmas about what child this is that we're worshiping, this one whose birth we're celebrating. 
It is my prayer that we would be overwhelmed with more than the controversy, more than what is flooding into our minds and, and, and the battles that we're, we are facing, that we would be overwhelmed with Jesus, his love, his grace, his mercy towards us. Overwhelmed with the, the real Jesus, that we would be like the shepherds who showed up there at the manger scene with Joseph and Mary, who could not contain themselves once they heard the message from the angels and saw the Christ child there in the manger, just as the angels said they could not be contained, they told everyone that they could tell about the Christ child. And I pray, and it is my hope, that you and I, this Christmas season, would declare with our lives, declare with our lips, this Christmas season of 2018 and into 2019, like the song that we heard here this morning, that this, this is Christ the King. That this, this is Christ my King and that we would experience him in a greater way. And so last week we looked at Luke chapter 2, we looked at the first seven verses, and today the verse we're going to kind of focus on is verse 11. And so I'm going to read starting at verse 1 of Luke 2 and end at verse 11. And so you can follow along with me in your Bibles. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That there, folks, is the gospel. That there is a gospel declaration. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so this morning we want to answer the question that this song asks, what child is this? And we're going to look at it here primarily from verse 11 of Luke chapter 2, where, again, I want to repeat it over and over again, because, folks, this is the gospel. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, in many ways, this is such an astonishing statement that is being said, and yet because of tradition and because we hear this year after year, we've grown up in the church or we've been in church for a good number of years, this just can blow past us, but my prayer and my desire is we would be blown away and astonished by the message of the angels and what this all means about what this child is really all about. Jesus, who came to the sinner for the sinner. That is what child is this, the Jesus who came to the sinner and for the sinner. The Christmas story is summed up in this one verse. You see, we all, in one way or another, can easily just take this story for granted, or we romanticized, or I like this one statement, we have this Christmas card theology when it comes to the birth of Christ. We have certain images in our minds of what that manger scene, what it would have looked like. 
I mean, let's face it, a barn is dirty, dark, and cold, but oftentimes we don't think of that. You see, we have the nativity sets all, all over. I, I think I said last week that we had four nativity sets in our house, and I think my wife corrected me afterwards and said, and, and, and I believe it's six. And, and, and just look at this. I mean, everything just looks so perfect on these nativity sets that you see, you know, from polished up shepherds who look so clean and really nice clothes, and, and the wise men and the angel. Look at the angel there. She has kind of a harp kind of, you know, um, he or she, uh, yeah, we're not sure on that, what that angel is, but, you know, is playing this instrument, and just look at the perfectly placed animals that are so clean and so nice and so obedient, and, and, and we have this kind of mindset, and, and, and I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with this, but I'm poking a little fun of it, because, you know, I mean, Mary always looks amazing. You know, I, I mean, just, you know, it looks like she just, you know, did her hair and put on some makeup and, you know, just, you know... I don't know, but I've been around a few times when children have been born or have visited family or friends who recently have given birth, and, 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 and the ladies oftentimes say, oh, and she looks so amazing. Yeah, still washed out and just tired and weary, but we always have these images and we see the nativity set of this, this Mary who just stepped out of the shower and just had a refreshing sleep right after she gave birth to a baby. And, and, and so we have these kind of thoughts or mindset, but I love this nativity set, uh, the, these two scenes. We have the traditional and then we have the hipster uh, nativity set. Uh, I mean, just crazy, right? I mean, look at the one on the bottom, organic, 100% uh, organic on that cow there, you know, and, and, and you see Mary and Joseph taking a selfie and, you know, um, the wise men on um, segways, you know, coming with their UPS kind of parcels and gifts and, and, and that, that would be a modern day. And so we kind of have some fun and, and, and kind of see this sort of thing. But, you know, just even when it comes to, to, to the, the uh, nativity sets that, that we often have, um, they're not all that accurate, not only because of, you know, how cleaned up and polished everyone is, but they always have the wise men there. And we know that the wise men were not there. We know that they came up to possibly two years afterwards. They weren't there the night that Christ was born. And so, men, I give you permission to make some changes in your house this week. You'll see what I did this week. Um, so, so you see Joseph and Mary on the right there, the little nativity thing. Now, if you look over by the window, I readjusted the wise men, you know, to, to make it look like as she was holding the baby in her arms, they were starting on their journey, and they have a journey to go to make it to Bethlehem, you know, they're following the star, you know, so, I mean, you know, I, I don't think it will last, or it's already been changed, you know, but, um, you know, just if you want to be biblical, you know, just tell your wife, you know, I just, I need to be biblical, you know, and so uh, you can have some fun with that. Anyways, the real the real nativity scene, the real set that what really was taking place was raw, it was real, it was cold, it was dark, there was blood, there were screams, there were probably things said to Joseph that Mary later regretted and needed to apologize for. So let's not try to sanitize and romanticize it too much and, and, and really see the raw beauty of what was taking place there and listen to the words of the angels to the shepherd in verse 11. For unto you, for unto you is born. Jesus came to the sinner for the sinner. And who is that to? That's to you and to me. Yes, speaking specifically to the shepherds, but you and I are like the shepherds. You see, being a shepherd in those days often was reserved for the outcasts, the unskilled, the uneducated, the untrained. Oftentimes it would even be those with a criminal background. 
Shepherds in those days weren't even allowed oftentimes to be able to vote because they were seen, or not vote, uh, appear in court because they were seen as unreliable in their witness. They were considered oftentimes the lowest of the low. And yet it was to them that the earthly or that the heavenly messengers came to. They came to the lowest of the low. He came to the sinner for the sinner. He came to the lowly, to the broken, to the outcast. This is who Christ came for, and this is who Christ comes for even today. When we find ourselves in that bankrupt position, again, back to the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 as we were looking at them this past summer, the very first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who realize that spiritually we are bankrupt, that spiritually we are outcasts, that spiritually there is nothing we can do, nothing we can do to deserve the grace and the love, the mercy and the forgiveness of our God. We are like the shepherds. What child is this? It's Jesus who came to the sinner and for the sinner. He comes to the needy, not to the self-sufficient. And so today, if you're full of yourself and you think that God's pretty awesome to have you on his team, I'd encourage you to humble yourself and look at yourself in the reality of who you are and who God is. And would we be humbled by the fact that he would come for people like you and for me, that he's come to sinners for the sinners. But then secondly, we also see that this Jesus, what child is this? It's Jesus, the promised and longed for Messiah. He goes on to say in verse 11, born this day in the city of David. So we see that Jesus is for the sinner, but he's also came to the sinners, but he was also the one that was promised the longed for Messiah. The story of the Savior is not just a New Testament concept. The story of Jesus starts back in Genesis chapter 3 and, and is in the grand narrative of the Old Testament, everything pointing to Jesus, declaring, anticipating, longing for Jesus. And so it started in the Old Testament. And there are hundreds and hundreds of prophecies regarding Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, most of which have already happened and have come true. Many of them fulfilled at the birth of Christ, but there are still those that are yet to be filled at the return of Christ. The way this world is going, it's getting sooner and sooner every day. We are told exactly in the Word of God so many details about the life of Jesus. In 2 Samuel verses 7 and verse 16, it says that God, God promised David, he promised that out of the line of David, that one of David's descendants would come a kingdom that would last forever. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, we looked at this last week, and we look at it again as one of those great prophecies that, that, that the Micah, Micah, the prophet, prophesied 700 years before it even happened that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, where he wrote, But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphra, who are too few, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler of Israel. Bethlehem was a small town. Small town, a nothing town, insignificant town. You know, it's kind of funny how even I think today you end up seeing this kind of thing in, in small towns and, and, and perhaps you could call it the LTS, little town syndrome. And, and sometimes um, 
I guess that's already up there. Uh, you end up seeing that some of these, some towns try to make a big name for themselves by trying to uh, do something great. And so these are some areas when we lived in Alberta, the, these are some towns that we personally got to visit and got to see. Um, there's a giant pierogi in Glendon, Saskatchewan, or Glendon, Alberta, or a giant Easter egg in Vegreville, Alberta. Or I golfed a number of times around the big oil derrick in Redwater, in, in world's largest. All these are the world's largest. They, they're making a name for themselves, so tourists will come see. And then one of the greatest on the right, it's not the world's largest, but it's one of the best. The home of Gaynor the Gopher, the Saskatchewan Rough Rider mascot, Park Bag, Saskatchewan. There's really nothing there except that they are known to be this, you know, town where this great mascot on the Trans-Canada is from. So here we have little town syndrome. And Bethlehem was a little town. It was a nothing town. It was insignificant. Yet it was the place that would become famous. It was the place that God's word promised. King David, God's word promised that King David's descendants, Messiah, would come. And where did he come from? He came from Bethlehem. As promised, it happened. Now it's interesting that Bethlehem means literally house of bread. And that's significant because Messiah was born in the house of bread. He was born in Bethlehem. And because we see in John chapter 6, what did Jesus say? Or what did he say? He said, I'm the bread of life. Through him, we find physical and spiritual strength and sustenance. You see, God promised that he would send a son. He promised that he would be born in Bethlehem. He promised that he would be in the line of David. What God promises God delivers. You can count on that. God's word is trustworthy. God's word is sure. God's word is true and it's reliable. And what God promises, he will deliver. It's accurate. It's a foundation. It is truth that we can build our lives on. It is true truth. We can build our lives by faith in the word of God. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, and this will be a good wake-up time for some of you. Take your Bibles and hold them up in the air. Take your Bibles and hold them. I love seeing that many Bibles. That's awesome. And if, you're, if your phone is your Bible, <laughs> hold up your phone. Just make sure it's, it's not on the weather forecast or something. Make sure it's on your Bible app or whatever it might be. And uh, vicariously, you'll, you'll just kind of pretend that you have a real Bible. One day you'll grow up and have one like this. Anyways, uh, I want to read the statement about the Word of God. Hold it up. Come on, you got a hold of this. is some good exercise, and if you need to switch arms partway through, that's good. It, it's muscle building even while you're in church. The bigger the Bible, the better. But here are some, some statements that I would encourage you just to believe about the Word of God as we declare here this morning. This is the Word of God. Now listen to this. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am going where it says I will go. God's Word is milk for my soul. God's word is seed for my faith. God's word is light for my path. God's word is light or, or is, is power for my victory. God's word is freedom for my life. 
When I read God's word, it brings me joy. When I study God's word, it keeps me from shame. When I memorize God's word, it purifies my heart. When I quote God's word, it defeats my enemies. When I meditate on God's word, it brings me peace. And when I abide in God's word, it gives me strength. This is the word of God. Amen? Amen. That is the reliable, trustworthy word of God. And what God says, he delivers. Jesus Christ, this statement from the angels, for unto you is born this day in the city of David. God promised, God delivered. What they longed for became a realization and answered prayer. And oh, like the shepherds, and oh, like Mary and Joseph, who held to and clung to the promises in the word of God. May we be people by faith would take God's word seriously this week, living it, reading it, applying it to our lives, holding fast to its promises, and living in the joy and the victory that it promises. And thirdly, the last thing that we see here, what child is this? It's Jesus, God in the flesh. Last part of verse 11, listen to these titles. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the incarnation, meaning God in the flesh, God becoming human. This is one of the great doctrines in the church that we must hold to, that we must apply and understand and, and, and tell others about. It's mysterious. It's a miracle how God could dive down into human flesh and be one of us. That God would leave the glories of heaven. He would leave perfection. He would leave relationship that he enjoyed with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. That he would come to this earth and he would dive down into a stable of filled with animals to a lowly couple. And the first visitors being shepherd outcasts. This is mind-blowing, that almighty, all-powerful God, that he wouldn't be born in a palace. He could never be accused of having, having been born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Never. The greatest minds have pondered about this, and they have written about it. St. Augustine said this about the incarnation. He who is unspeakably wise, he is now wisely speechless. In 1608, Lancelot Andrews, the one who oversaw the King James Version of the Bible for King James, was one day preaching before King James about the Incarnation. And here's what he had to say. The word without a word is the Incarnation, the speechless word of God. How he now sleeps whose eyelids have never closed. The one who asked in Job 38, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Now himself lay wrapped in swaddling clothes. Mind-boggling. This is God becoming a man. The omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God coming to this earth as a baby. And what does Philippians chapter 2 say? Starting in verse 6, it says, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He humbled himself. 
He humbled himself. He humbled himself. We think that there are jobs at times that are too low for us to do. Right, kids? Teenagers, employees, bosses. There are certain jobs that we just, oh, that's, that is way below what I should have to do. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. The Son of God placed all of his power at the administration of God the Father, and he humbled himself. And he only used the power and the strength that was given to him only as the Father directed. Even Jesus himself said in John 38, he says, I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. He would only do what his Father would ask him to do. Folks, Jesus wasn't just part man, wasn't just partial man, not almost man. He was a real baby, born in a real stable, in a real, placed in a real manger, became a real man. The infinite became the finite. He was subject to human laws of nature. He had to learn how to talk. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to reason. His father had to teach him how to build, how to be a carpenter. He underwent growing pains. He experienced hurt and loss. And yet he did it all sinlessly. I'm sure it would have been time, hard at times as a teenager, as a young man, knowing what he knew about himself and what he was coming to understand. One of his friends, they're walking home from Sabbath school one Saturday afternoon, and he says, hey, Jesus, I, I think Martha might like me. <laughs> and Jesus says, no, she doesn't. And he's like, how do you know? I, I just know. You know, he could have easily have used his power like that, and, and, and yet uh, he didn't. The all-knowing needed to learn. This is the mystery of godliness, folks, that Paul talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. It's the mystery of godliness, that God would come to this earth. Would this just rattle our minds and our brains that the infinite, almighty, all-powerful God came in the form of a baby? Listen to these titles that... The angel gives Savior, Christ, Lord. Savior means the one who redeems, the one who rescues, the one that they were longing for, the one that we see in the Old Testament, the one that, that they were waiting for to pay the ultimate penalty for their sins because we can't save ourselves. There's no way that it can be a you for me or you me for you or you for me kind of a trade-off. I'll die for you if you die for me. No, that's not good enough because we're all sinful. We can't self-substitute ourselves. We need a sinless Savior, a sinless substitute, and that's who Jesus is. And that's what he came to show to us. And he was willing to take the punishment to be our Savior, to be our Redeemer. The name Christ, which means anointed one, the one who fulfilled all Old Testament prophecies. Christ the Messiah. He is Lord. That third title, meaning master. 6,000 times in the Old Testament, the word Lord is used to refer to as God Almighty. 
that carries the name of ultimate extreme authority. Jesus, who is our Savior, our Christ, and our Lord. All of these titles were settled in Jesus of Nazareth, and he provides for us all that is necessary for our salvation. The manger was the beginning, the cross was the culmination and the resurrection, the victory. And because of the incarnation, he has the capacity, the understanding to figure us out. He's been where we've been. He's experienced what we experience. He's been tempted as we are tempted. Hebrews 7, 24, 25, I encourage you to look these verses up, declares that he was the perfect, the eternal high priest who lives to save forever those who draw near to him. And he now lives to make intercession for us. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This past week I read about a scientific term called sympathetic resonance. And so if you have two, let's say you have two grand pianos. Jacob, could I get you to help me this morning? Jacob, great young man, and get to hear him at small groups sometimes before our small group starts. He and his brother are playing on the piano. So if you can go to the piano there, and if you guys can make sure the piano works. Um, there we go, it works, wonderful. Now, now let's say that this is a grand piano, okay? This is a grand piano. It's not, but it, it, I'm sure it's close. It sounded pretty good today. But let's say we had a grand piano on this side, and we have another grand piano over on this side. So Jacob, play one note for me, please. So if he plays that one note, now, now play a chord. What chord is that? C chord, wonderful. He's smart and he's musical, that's awesome. So with what I'm talking about with this sympathetic resonance that if this was a grand piano, he plays those, that single note or that chord on this piano, the sound would resonate on the chords the strings of the other piano. That if you were to go and you were to listen closely on that piano, you would hear the chords that he's playing. Now, play us a little song. He asked him to play, play a little song for us a little earlier, and he said, so try to guess this song. Go for it, man. Okay, that's not the one we talked about. I think you should do the one we talked about, all right? Okay, there we go. Wonderful. Now, do you all know what that was? That was the theme to what? Batman. Not Batman, Dwayne. Dwayne, go put your nose in the corner. Of course, it was Spider-Man. Awesome. Thank you so much. That, that's so helpful because, and, and so what we have to understand in this scientific term, now you're wondering, where are we going with all of this? Well, with sympathetic resonances, you play a song on this piano and it resonates on the other piano. In the same way, because of the incarnation, because of Jesus, 
there is sympathetic resonance that when something happens to us here on this earth, because of who he is, he feels it. He knows it. What hap- when something happens in our lives, it resonates with him. We see it here that he sympathizes with us. And so because of that, we can draw near to him with unparalleled understanding and sympathy He's walked where we've walked. He's experienced what we've experienced. He feels what we feel. He gets you. Sometimes maybe you think, no one gets me. No one ever gets me in this this world. Well, you're right. Out of this world, your Savior, Jesus Christ, if he is your Lord and Savior, he gets you. And he sympathizes. And he resonates with what you are going through. And he's pleading, interceding on our behalf to God the Father. He knows what we're going through. There's sympathetic resonance taking place. What plays in our lives plays in the life, in the heart of Jesus. He understands the aching heart, the hurting heart. Do you know him today? Do you know him this Christmas? The eternally existent Son of God became flesh. He became like us. He humbled himself and lived and walked among us, but once again without sin. And he died that substitutionary death on the cross for our sins, was raised on the third day, conquering sin and death in great victory so that you and I can have eternal life. Have you come to the place where you have received him in that way? Have you come to him like the shepherds, with haste, with unworthiness, and yet with great joy that you can respond to the greatest news this world has ever heard, has ever received. I love the line in one, another old Christmas carol where it goes, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Folks, let's not be overwhelmed by the busyness and the chaos of what's going on in our world or in your life or in your family or at work or in your Christmas plans or in the plans for 2019. It's so easy to become negative and cynical or it just becomes easy for us to just want to maybe just put the covers up over and just sleep or, or, or to binge watch or, or, or whatever we might do or you know, any sort of form of escape just to try to get out of it or just simply go through the motions of the season. Let's not focus on how bad our world is. Let's find ourselves binging in the truth of the word of God, in the worship of him. And see that the life that is produced from that, it comes as we turn our eyes on Jesus, when we see things in proper biblical perspective. And so this morning, if we were to to live what we are learning here this morning, how we practically apply this three quick ways. First of all, rejoice. Rejoice in the incarnation. Rejoice in what Jesus has done that he came to this earth. And if you know him today, rejoice in that. If you don't know him today, come with great haste into a relationship with him. He will receive you. Just as he would receive the shepherds and as his word says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, receive him today. And so we rejoice. We rejoice as we worship. Would this be a Christmas season where we worship the king? And as we go into 2019, that we would be worshipers in our rejoicing, 
in knowing that in the end our victory is assured, that God's word is true. But then would we also run? Would we run with haste like the shepherds by faith in desperation? This morning I was sharing at the prayer time the way this morning didn't quite go the way that I had planned. Uh, my truck didn't start at the beginning this morning when I was leaving and, and, and got quite delayed because it ended up not starting. I drained the battery, had to boost it, and even that wasn't working. And, and I remember at one point just saying, God, I can't handle this. <laughs> and it was like, kind of wake up. It was like, of course you can't, Meldon, but I can and how quickly we run to all these other things. We run to frustration. We may even run to anger. Maybe it's internal anger. And say, God, I can't. Would we run to him? And there we find help. There we find strength. There we find a, a realignment with what is really going on. And I did stop and say, yeah, God, you're right. I can't handle this. Would you help? Would you help? Would you undertake? Because right away, my mind started going great, and we have to leave. We have to go away for a, couple, uh, for, for a day or so. We have to go to the coast right after church this morning. And, and then I was thinking, great, now I have to check this vehicle near the shop, and another vehicle's causing us some problems and all of this. And my mind gets all flustered, and I don't know if you're like that. And you just start looking ahead, you know, and you see all of this. And it's just like, Meldon, remember, I'm God, and you are not. I needed to run to him this morning. I need to run to him this afternoon. I need to run to him tomorrow, and you need to run to him too. So let's run to Jesus. Let's rejoice in who he is and what he's done. And folks, then would we reveal Jesus? Would we reveal him to others this week? Even today, God will have people lined up for you and I to share and to show the love of Christ to. Will we, will we take advantage? Or will we just be so into our own agenda, so into our own lives, so into ourselves? And when there's opportunities placed in front of us to serve the Lord, to speak of the Lord, to share the gospel. I love the story this past weekend, heard in our small group of one of the, the moms who uh, lost her keys and, and wasn't sure where they were exactly at first and, and so had to take refuge with her young kids at a neighbor's house. And how a frustrating, very frustrating uh, event in, in their day, something they didn't plan for, ended up becoming an incredible opportunity for her to share the gospel share the good news with her neighbors. So instead of being upset, she's rejoicing. Oh, folks, would we, that third one, reveal Jesus? Would we reveal Jesus to others? Jesus has people lined up for us to, to talk to, to share the good news with today and this Christmas season. Would we take advantage of that, whether it be neighbors or coworkers, people on the street, people that he brings into our lives, <laughs> they're divine appointments, and so oftentimes we see them as divine or earthly frustrations or interruptions in our lives. Invite people to our Christmas services. We'll talk about those in a few moments. Invite them to be part of the kingdom of God as you share with them the good news of the gospel. Oh, folks, what child is this? Jesus Christ, the Lord, Jesus Messiah. And so would we rejoice would we run to him and would we reveal him to others today and into this new year? Let's pray together and ask the band to come. And so, Lord, even right now, we want to rejoice in what child is this, not just a little baby born in a manger, but a baby, the Son of God, the miracle that God would send his son, would dive down into this earth and become a man 
And because of that one miracle, there can be billions of other miracles where the God of this universe, through the power of the Holy Spirit, dives down into our hearts to fill us with the Spirit of Jesus Christ. It says in your word that when, all, that when we call upon the name of the Lord, we're saved. Your word teaches that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, comes into us, that the old is gone, the new has come. And we are empowered. We have the ability, and yet, God, we quench your spirit. We grieve your spirit by sin or trying to pull through on our own. Oh, God, would we be sold out for you and surrendered and in a place where we realize, I need you, I need you, Lord. Would we be quick to reveal you, to run to you, and to rejoice in you this day and this Christmas season and into this new year that you, by your grace, by your mercy, uh, will give to us? Would we use it for your glory, for your sake, we pray. Let's stand together in response as we worship the Lord together. <clears throat>